So, cheese. <laughs> uh, we're sharing one microphone. It's the Decibel Wines podcast. I'm with Rocco Raynone in South Philadelphia, uh, a mere few blocks away from where my grandfather grew up and made wine in his basement. What were his cross streets? He lived on cross. He did? Yeah. Really? Yeah, he grew up on cross street. What block? I think uh, like Ninth or something, not ninth? far from here. Yeah, no, no, not far. And so the pretty little Passyunk Square that you guys call it, which was never called Passyunk no, Square back it's been, in the day. It's been rebranded, so uh, yeah. so it could be a hotbed of business and restaurant he, he, culture. He called it, you mean the place where <coughs> the horses would drink out of the water? Yeah. Because that was basically what it was. Now it's the singing fountain. It, I think it's even changed since I left, if, you know, six years ago or whatever. It's, yeah. I mean, I know it's upgraded and there's a lot of restaurants, but the fountain looks even different. Is it a new yeah, fountain? Yeah, they redid the fountain. They took down, uh, there used to be a fence around it, and the uh, the fence is now at uh, the cantina, at a Mexican restaurant. Outside. As it should be. They reused it. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, we tried to limit our conversation, even though I haven't seen you. Did I see you last? I saw you last trip home. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was Christmas time. Yep. And DeBruno Brothers was completely out of control. Yep, it was. And I not only came in when you were really busy, I sent my mother and my uncle in to get more stuff when it was like even busier. Yeah, next day. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was cool when I saw you because then we went into that like real old school. Uh, we went into Villa de Roma for for drinks afterwards. Yeah, all the guys were like, hey, oh, bada bing. But um, yeah, so uh, what is your job now at DeBruno Brothers? So uh, I'm uh, I'm the general manager of uh, our original Italian market location. It's mm-hmm. been there since 1939. Um, yeah, so DeBruno Brothers. For uh, people don't know, probably the oldest, most famous cheese and charcuterie place in Philadelphia, yep. which uh, for those people listening uh, around the world, Philadelphia's got a, particularly South Philadelphia has uh, a lot of Italian immigrants. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the the place that, you know, there's probably some other small, uh, there is, there's some other small places that have survived, but that's the one that not only survived, but I guess in the last 10 years has really gone over the top with taking it to the next level. They've mm-hmm. got a just another location in town. yeah we have a couple locations kind of the but the the italian market is really kind of the where, where the business started it's a open air market it's the only one left in in the country an open air uh market and um the businesses there most of them started off as italian businesses but uh we've definitely uh had had some mexican influence and and uh asian influence come in uh, from the businesses, um, De Bruno Brothers has five locations now. Five? Oh, yeah. I thought it was two more. It's so three. We uh, we opened up uh, I think about uh, eight years ago. A really big store in Rittenhouse Square, uh, and then uh, we have one in the Comcast Center in the basement. Uh, there's one out in the Burbs in Ardmore, and uh, we just opened. Oh, okay, so the Comcast one I didn't know about. I know you opened the one in Ardmore, <clears throat> and then we just opened one. Tomorrow, officially, uh, soft opening was on Friday uh, in the Ben Franklin building. That's exciting. Another pretty big one. What's the Ben Franklin building? Uh, so the Palace of the Ben was in there. Oh, it's okay. a, kind of a luxury apartment building yeah. uh, right near uh, all the hospitals. and. Cool. Yeah. So new big store for us. 
That's ex- and how much are you a part of? Do you have to do training? Do you have to do? What do you do when? You oh, guys we, we give up our well-trained people to uh, to yeah. the next venture. Yeah. So that, that kind of yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't thin out the herd too much for no. you guys. Um, so when did it all happen? I mean, I left, and and you were not in cheese. Yeah. And now you are the cheese. You're like one of the cheese men of Philadelphia. Not yeah. only you know you're doing. You know, tastings all over the city and seem to be in the education side of it as well. And yeah, uh, so um, right right after right after you left, I uh, I was in real estate when you left. I thought you were going to say you were in real bad shape after I left because you I, were. Just... I may have been. I don't, I don't know, but uh, real estate got uh, got kind of uh, tedious and and the, the market wasn't great. So uh, I uh, I bounced around trying to figure out what I wanted to do next and kind of came down on something I really loved, which is food. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it kind of just fell in my lap. I, I knew I wanted to work with DeBruno Brothers to kind of get my knowledge base, and but I didn't think it would take off like this. So yeah. I, I've been there for three years now, and uh, it's been great. I've learned so much so quickly and, and kind of... Uh, just uh, just this year, we uh, we did the first certification for for cheese professionals. In, yes, uh, uh, well, that was going to be States. one of the things I asked you about. Is what is this sort of uh, I don't know education and, and I, obviously, I mean, I've done some tastings with you, and you know, so you, you're you're like having a winemaker there talk about wine. You know so much about the processes, where they're from, mm-hmm. history behind it. What do you guys do? Uh, you know, as a shop and as a, and then how much of that is on your own and things like that. So it, it's a, it's a, you, we have such a wealth of, of products and, and uh, it, it's a lot for people to, it's overwhelming when you come in the shop, you've, you've been there. We have about three or 400 cheeses in front of you and about a thousand products behind you and pieces of charcuterie that go well with cheese. Um, so a lot of it is telling the story about why the cheese exists. Um, same way with, with wine that a particular climate or, or soil uh, is the reason you make a wine in a certain way and you wind up with the end product. Same goes for cheese. I mean, if you're in mountains uh, that are steep like the Pyrenees, there's nowhere for cows to pasture. So you wind up with those are sheep and, and goat's milk mostly. Mm-hmm. in those areas um temperature access to salt it, yeah i mean i know say for instance you know <clears throat> one of the things i've taken big note on in the last years is the difference in uh, meat and dairy in new zealand to when i come home it tastes very different yep. obviously the cows graze on you know i, I mean if we're just going to take say free range or grass-fed uh beef and dairy products uh and take the rest sort of uh, sort of big farm out of the equation. But if we just talk about those, uh, the meat tastes very different because our soil is re- sort of young, clean, uh, volcanic soils and, and alluvial soils and things that mm-hmm. you know certainly reflects in the dairy and in the and in the beef. And uh, that's probably why it's a hot product around the world yeah. because it tastes different and it has like a real clean taste to it, and it certainly reflects in the wine and everything else. Uh, so cheese you know i'd say new zealand is just sort of a little bit behind like we don't have a lot of charcuterie we don't have a lot of premium cheese when they do do it it's really well and it's Uh really good flavors but 
What's uh, some of your favorites? Or I'm sure it changes so, all the time, you know? Well, yeah, it does. It always changes. It depends on what we have, what's in season. Um, but, the, I mean, the, the same thing, the, the reason that, that your stuff, your meat and, and your, your dairy tastes so great is because they're eating grass. And uh, that's one of the big problems. It's really hard for the United States to have a lot of products that are that are grass fed. We use a lot of our grain. We produce a lot of that corn and and stuff to to feed our uh, to feed our our really kind of big uh, big populace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so much of the the quality and the tradition uh, that's associated with the foods is is just not there anymore. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, it, you talked about it. You you guys having a young culture. Um, the really kind of the reason that European cheeses are are kind of so so entrenched in tradition and, and uh, I guess established uh, is is really kind of the AOC system and same thing with with wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there the cheeses have to be made with just pasture fed milk. Uh, it's part of the it's part of the the AOC guidelines for a lot of the cheeses out there that can't they can't be grain fed or silage fed at all, um, and that's really hard to establish in a like a, a young a young country with not much of a cheese culture, um, aging cheese and and keeping really strict guidelines is expensive and and tough and dairies dairies don't really have uh, if they're not banded together like they are in in Europe. It's really hard for them to, to keep those standards. Yeah, guys want to make a buck. They want to try to do yeah. things different ways. They say, this way works for me better. I want to do it this way. And then, yeah, again, then you have just large corporate farming and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, just on a guess, I would think places like Wisconsin and, you know, the, the, yeah. and that have open areas a little more yeah. and, are, and have some dairy, you, you know, you might have a... And, and some European people, they probably have a little more tradition there. Yeah, Europeans, they, they all have consortiums for, for one type of cheese where uh, it, it's backed uh, marketing and, and everything is backed behind that one cheese and everybody is going for the, the same goal. And uh, You get paid more for quality of milk rather than amount of milk. Um, yeah, uh, and, and those models are, are starting to come to the United States too. Um, there's a there's a place called Jasper Hill in Vermont, where they Vermont, uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they uh, they built a they built a cave, uh, and they take in cheese from they make their own cheese, and they take in cheese from local smaller farmers, and they age it for them in their kind in their of co-op, and, yeah, yeah, and they distribute. So uh, the big problem is a lot of people can make cheese, uh, but to make really great cheese and cheese that you can make a decent amount of money off of, you have to age it the right way too, and and get it to market perfect and yeah that's how you really build a following for your product and and kind of create a, a need for your product down the year, down the years um so uh that's kind of cool to see those kinds of things starting and that's really uh the foundation of of the dairy industry being turning into uh the artisanal part of it turning into something that's a, a viable part of the business and not just a commodity milk and, and yeah well it's shredded it's, cheese and it's got to be tough for it's like investing in a winery. You're like, you're not going to turn a profit for five years mm-hmm. if you do a winery, if you're lucky. And I imagine with cheese, you say, okay, we do all this, and then we're going to let it all sit and age for another what? How long How long would it be, you know, obviously it depends I mean, it on depends, the cheese. Yeah, it but, depends on the cheese, but I mean, even even a, a little tiny cheese to, 
to sit on it and, and uh, to make a great aged cheese, like a lot of times you have to wait months and months and you, yeah. you've spent all that money and you have nothing coming back to you. Um, so what do we have? We've so got a couple cheeses so here. So you have a couple today. cheeses. Neither of them are, well, you know, the one you're eating right now is called uh, Zachary Cloutier. It's from Quebec. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's illegally here. Awesome. The wife and I went to uh, Montreal and uh, brought back some cheese. Um, that's a really great uh, sheep's milk cheese. So do you find that because you're kind of like a, a smelly guy that you can get cheese into the country a lot easier? Because <laughs> uh, they're, they're like, oh yeah. Just you know go. at the border, I always tell them what I do. And uh, my wife will say cheesemonger. And the border the border guy will be like, huh? Yeah, yeah. What the hell is that? Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I, I've never had a problem getting things in. There's some some legal charcuterie, and uh, uh, maybe it's just my natural smell. It covers it. <laughs> you could be right. <laughs> so we have that, and uh, we have a really great uh, extra-aged manchego. That right, was also brought back illegally by uh, another uh, cheesemonger who... Uh, who well, that's, a, a, that's a much harder cheese. Yeah, you want to get a bit, better knife there? Mm. Hopefully I don't knock over the microphone when I try to do it, but I can do it. Yeah, I got thanks. it. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. So these are both sheep's milk cheeses. Okay. Um, and uh, we don't have a lot of sheep uh, in the United States. Um, Trying to get too far from okay. our shared microphone. So uh, in, in Italy, sheep's milk is really kind of prevalent in, in Spain and a lot of other places. Uh, we just don't have a lot of a lot of sheep in the United States. and. Uh, it's, it's we got pretty, some in New Zealand. Yeah, you do. <laughs> you should be making sheep's milk cheese. They do make some, uh, but I would say uh, fine sheep's milk cheese is not yeah. a big thing. But there is definitely some out there and some good ones. Again, it's small productions and things like that. Sheep's milk is great for cheese because it, uh, it has the highest percentage of solids of any of the milk. Uh, cow's milk has a has a good amount of fat, and mm. goat's milk is mostly water, so you need a lot more milk to make cheese. Um, so you get a really high yield from sheep's milk. Oh, okay. Uh, sheep's milk costs more money too, and and there's not as much infrastructure in the United States for uh, like milking equipment for sheep, so totally. it winds up being expensive here. So. Yeah, you got to come to New Zealand and get. We got a lot of sheep around just <laughs> where I live, so they would. Uh, you you do well there. Um, Another sort of cheese basic is mm-hmm. I had actually, of all people, George Fistinich, who's the owner uh, of Villa Maria Winery, which is like the third biggest winery. I used to work at one of his wineries, and I worked in the restaurant a little bit, mm-hmm. and he speaks really quietly, and he, he always asks questions, and he, he pulled me over one side, and he says, did you know, because he was just back from Italy or something, he said, did you know that the thicker cheeses are actually higher in fat content than the lighter. I'm like, I think I knew that, but uh, but it's something I think people don't think when you have like a Parmesan or a Pecorino or something that seems like it's oh just kind of flaky and yeah. light. It's actually heavier fat, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, you, I mean, if you're looking at percentages, a young cheese is like a brie is usually at least 50% water. So okay. even if it's a triple cream, you're just talking about the amount of fat in the solids and you're not you're, you're you're eating mostly water when you're having a younger cheese sweet i'll remember that um yeah that's uh that's what we tell people on diets all the time <laughs> this cheese is mostly water yeah you guys probably uh um have to do a lot of that kind of chat in uh de bruno brothers because you could walk in there and easily you could gain weight just walking around the place yeah that we place. feed you samples the entire time you can <laughs> you can have a meal on us yeah um <laughs> 
Yeah, so, yeah, when like anything, uh, the the more you age it, you're intensifying flavors by, by getting rid of water. Yeah, water just... Um, yeah. And you get you get the added benefit with cheese when you when you age something. You can see um, none of these really have them, but uh, the uh, the proteins actually uh, form little crystals in mm. aged cheeses. And in a Parmesan or a, a Gouda or even a Gruyere, you can see little little kind of white dots on the on the paste of the cheese. And that's uh, as the water leaves the cheese, the amino acids, the um, the tyrosine is left behind in a crystal form. It, it's a Nice little texture breakup too. Yeah, in another yeah. cheese. Yeah, it gives it a little bit of. Well, mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of the flakiness almost with it, or yeah, flaky's different. Flaky's different than uh, than the crystals. They're uh, they're two separate uh, two separate processes. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Do we, we want to? Do you want me? To, do you want me to explain the entire thing? Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's so start from start from. So an aged cheese. What well, the the whole point uh, of of making cheese is to keep milk from going bad. To be able to use the protein, uh, you can't drink all of the milk, and um, most adults can't really process the amount of lactose that's in that's in dairy. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, the invention of cheese was was a good way to get rid of a lot of the milk sugars that were really not designed to be eating. Uh, a lot of Europeans lost the lost that the the lactose intolerance because of, of years of, of eating milk Drinking and cheese. Milk, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, we're really not supposed to eat it after after we're babies. Uh, we lose the the um, the lactase. That's yeah. the that's Enzyme. the chemical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, so that was the first benefit of cheese. Uh, was being able to to make a product that that people could eat and get protein from without getting sick or farting all the time, because uh, it's really just rotting milk in your in your stomach, and that's why why people feel have a really bad. Sweaty. Yeah, you you bloat and yeah. gives off a lot of gases and, yeah. and stinks. I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, so uh, aged cheeses are really easier for me to handle. Um, so that's the first thing, uh, and then uh, then you have a couple more really great. Uh, kind of uh, technology uh, inventions in, in cheese and um, you're, you're getting rid of water uh, because the water is really what's gonna what's gonna allow it to uh, become unsafe to, to eat you're, you're inviting a lot of bacterias and molds in uh, that you don't want so uh, there are a bunch of different ways you can do it salt is one way cooking heat uh, and size of the curd cutting the curds to smaller sizes you're uh, increasing surface area and uh, air to yeah, yeah, yeah and you're, you're letting more more of the way off, yeah. Um, so that's it. So, uh, different, different types of cheeses are, are made in different uh, places of the world depending on what they have at their, at their disposal. Um, up in the Alps, you, you, get, a, you get a cheese uh, like Gruyere or, or Swiss, uh, Emmentaler, um, that they don't use a lot of salt because there there was no salt readily available. It's tough to get salt up into the Alps. Sure. Um, so they did a couple things. They they always heat the curds. Uh, they cut them smaller, and they made a big flat disc wheel uh, that uh, that has more surface area, so it could dry more evenly, and you didn't have to worry about the heart of the cheese staying mm. really moist. Okay. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then uh, you know, as far as Different ways of aging, different uh, rind and that kind of stuff. That yep. all has to do with regionality, still, or yeah, little little bit. Um, so the the rind styles. Uh, I mean, brine is a uh, brine is or rubbing salt on a, a rind is uh, 
is one of the ways to keep uh, from the wrong kinds of bacteria from starting to grow on the cheese or, or molds. Uh, so the washed rind cheeses, the funky cheeses, um, they're, uh, they have a bacteria called Brebilinins on them. It's a, the orange stuff. If you see an, an orange cheese, it's, it's usually Brebilinins. Uh, just the rind is orange. The orange cheese inside is something completely different. Mm -hmm. um, but that, uh, that's a, a brine washed cheese, or even they use alcohol or uh, like a solution of uh, a lot of times they'll use a must or like a grappa or um, mm. a cognac or something in that family. Yeah, something that, that uh, makes it a little are, difficult for things to yeah, grow on. Those are, those are usually monastic cheeses and, and um, that kind of level of fiddling and uh, being able to watch the cheese closely was uh, something that really only the monks had time to do in their day. Uh, that and drink. If, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they were making booze too at the same time. Sure. Um, so if you if you are monks these days, you yeah, know, to, we do to have the patience to do those type of things. You there, know, there's a there's a guy who uh, who owns a uh, a big big cheese shop in Ann Arbor, Ari uh, Weinswig, and he uh, he wrote a book and and he pretty much says that the monks are the perfect workforce, which is yeah yeah that's yeah. totally right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we were in uh, I studied in Belgium for when I was in in school. We went to a you know, a couple breweries there and quickly discovered why monks are bent over looking like they're praying most of the day. It's, and, and they're all chubby. They're, they're just hung over. Like yeah. All, you know, there's beers these guys were making and I'm sure in other regions, wines and things like that. It's like, uh, yeah, yeah there's some spots where they're still making cheese too. In the Basque country, they're, they're I, still making a cheese. The last, guy, the last guy I interviewed, uh, is from Basque. Nice. Uh, Pierre. Uh, Pierre Simenon, he's a winemaker now, now in New Zealand, but what an interesting history and a lot he has to say about the Basque country. Is there a Basque uh, cheese or a bunch so, of cheeses that are from yeah, there? Yeah, Basque cheeses are among the best cheeses and, and kind of uh, underappreciated, uh, unknown styles of cheeses. Pierre would say, obviously, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's true, but I mean, we everybody has a lot of respect for the, the food tradition there is, is really great, and yeah. they're kind of isolated in, in comparison to... Uh, to like the uh, like really big French cheeses, like well, Comte or Brie, and cracks me up about the region is they're like they're kind of like French Canadians, like yeah, they don't want to be Spanish, they don't want to be French, and the French don't want them, and the Spaniards don't want them, and they just kind of got their own thing going on. Uh, and uh, yeah, he certainly has. Their, yeah, there's him, him and his partner are both from there, and they they both you know she's got unbelievable weird recipes, and they they just. Yeah. And some of them are just like real simple, but they're just killer, you know. They they make a style of cheese called Oso Arati, um, which is one of the great cheeses. If if you haven't had it before, you should definitely go out and get some Oso Arati. I gotta get some notes for, uh, <coughs> post on the website uh -huh. from you, uh, as well as a handsome picture of you maybe eating okay. cheese or something. I think like I have that. some. I think I have you some got some promo shots. Yeah, nice, nice, nice. You can have a headshot. Sweet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, they have they have one of the world's greatest cheeses, and not a lot of people know about it because they're. I think for a long time they were reticent about using the distribution channels that that the country of France or the country of Spain has to get their their cheese out, and yeah. uh, just now they're they're starting to to kind of get it out there. They finally got the internet, probably there or something, you know. 
Well, they, I think they had the internet. They've got their own. They've got their own phone companies, and they're really kind of uh, in Spain, at least. They're they're kind of uh, a real economic power, and they, in the Basque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. North of Spain is is kind of where the economic center is, and they that's why they want to be out on well, their own th- because they're, yeah, you'd think there's so much trade would have to go through that area anyway. Yeah, and probably why it was battled over so much. I, I'll have to catch up on one of my uh, podcasts. Yeah, you gotta, about, you gotta about do a history podcast. I gotta do. Uh, I listened to some of the Dan Carlin, like I was saying before, and some of these other history podcasts. I'm sure there's one out there about the Basque Country and mm-hmm. brush up a little bit. There needs to be like a South Philly uh, history podcast though, because this place is seeped in it, man. It's funny driving, just driving in here this morning. I'm like. This is the land of soft pretzels, uh, you know, awesome bakeries. My mother was just over here this morning. Uh-huh. Uh, what what bakery did Term- you? Term- Termini's. Termini's yeah. Brothers is over there. Yeah, right? Termini Brothers. Yeah, so she. It, they've it, come it, there for years. I had a half a cannoli before I came over here, and I was, she's like, "You know, you're gonna eat the whole thing." I was like, "I got to do an interview. I will sleep on the couch if I <laughs> eat a whole one of those." And that's just the small cannolis yeah. too. They do the. The giant ones that are just Terminus is on Eighth Street in between Dickinson and Tasker. Okay, look at that. Let's plug. <laughs> Let's plug away. Well, you uh, mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's some uh, great ones. But what else? Uh, South Philly is sort of uh, when well. I was there's che- there's Cheesesteak Vegas, which uh, which is really only for uh, the very drunk. Mm. Yeah, but I was I was talking more like okay. There's certainly like uh, the like hipster influence, and there's some great restaurants, which is cool. I mean, I, I, I'm I don't want to point out anybody as saying okay, you're a hipster like as a negative thing. Like, it brought some awesome restaurants to this area, and it's brought some uh, a revival to the area, and an appre- I think an appreciation back to some of the old uh, places that sort of survived through the tough times here in South Philly. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to think of some of those more. Uh, like classic well there's tons of little italian byobs and uh uh i saw yeah like i said i saw a guy eating a soft pretzel on the side of the road when i was driving in i was like yeah that looks well, good eating a soft pretzel if you get on the highway you can like buy a soft pretzel at the the last stop sign on the entrance right? yeah there's always a guy with like yeah. a shopping cart full of them soft pretzels or flowers yeah you want mustard i'm like yeah of course i want mustard what am i a nazi yeah of course i do um, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the other, uh, well, bakeries, obviously there's a ton of good ones of those. There's some, uh, you know, it's not a slice area though. It's not like a pizza slice. Like you're in New York. I was in New York yesterday during the day and it's just ridiculous how many like slice, you know, grab a slice. Yeah. There's place. not. And it's not that kind of, there's some sit down pizzerias. Yeah. The sit down pizzerias are, there's kind of been a revival. There are a lot of like artisan pizzerias in, in Philly now that are, yeah. that are getting really good, but there's not a lot of, it's not a big pizza culture. Mm. There's a long time where I made the best pizza that I had in, in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was kind of a weird thing. It's like a lot of the great pizzas in the suburbs <clears throat> and a lot of the, I think a lot of the great cheesesteaks are in the suburbs mm-hmm. too. Uh, and hoagies, but well, you know, there's still like Sarcones and people like that that make amazing sandwiches and hoagies. That place is worth mentioning. The bread, the bread is a the bread's a big part of it. There's a there's definitely a battle lines drawn over. Well, I I think like a lot of the places that are great, uh, you know, they still get their dough probably from over here. 
you know, some of the places in the burbs that do well that have. Some oh of yeah, they. Well, yeah, they. There are a couple bakeries out in the burbs, but I, I mean, everybody's everybody's got their own their own role that that they swear by. And yeah. <laughs> there was a uh, what it, the the roast beef place in uh, Reading Terminal Market, uh, the Knicks that just Knicks. won. Yeah, yeah, Knicks. Yeah. They just won the uh, the best sandwich, and like there was it was a big deal when they changed their bread from Karangis to Sarcones. Oh my god. Forget it. And what's the? Uh, I I would love to talk to that guy John at John Rose Pork one day. He's a that place is like a uh, a place. So it's basically they built an IKEA and they built this shopping center yeah. and all this you know sort of modern stuff and it's it's kind of down near Delaware Ave or yeah, I guess like, that almost turns into is that still Delaware Ave there anyway it's where the IKEA is in yeah. South Philly. And it's Columbus in South Philly. Yeah, it's Columbus, yeah. So once you hit South Philly it changes from Delaware out to Columbus. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Been, <laughs> been out of town for a little while. So they uh, they kept this little shack uh, back on the other side of the tracks. Yep. And I brought my friends there from, from Napa uh, this past winter and I mean we waited forty five minutes to get a sandwich on like a Tuesday afternoon or yep. whatever it was. It was but well worth it. The ro- you know, we had roast pork. I think one of the best cheesesteaks around. Still I, yeah, I think in it's the, the best. I think it's the best cheesesteak, and and it's up there for roast pork too. Yeah, it's. Uh, but there's those little gems around here where, uh, I mean, you'd have to run like Rocky Balboa to keep in shape because there's just too many, too much good food I around. On, I put on a ton of weight since uh, <laughs> since coming down here. You look good though. You, you fly. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm healthy. I'm not uh I'm not svelte, but I'm healthy. <laughs> I only you, eat good food. Um. Yeah, so what, what what's uh, down the line for you? What do you what are you thinking? Uh, the one I guess the one thing I didn't touch on too before was uh, education. The sort of mm-hmm. the way uh, how much you've done on your own and how much you guys train through the store. Yeah, there's uh, so we we have a lot of a lot of great resources and being kind of the driving force was was one of the owners, Emilio uh, Mignucci, um, who really educated himself. In cheese, when he took over the business with his uh, with his cousin and his brother, um, kind of he went and, and took all the cheese classes, traveled to Italy, like did everything on his own, and like really kind of hit the ground and um, made a lot of contacts in the industry. And, and there there are people who we have access to, and we can just ask a question. Who that you know, no one else gets that access. Yeah. It's really it's cool to to be able to to have like the producer or the ager of the best parmesan in the world like come to your shop and answer questions about like why he why he picked one wheel and not the other and like this is the the kind of guy who hits a wheel of parmesan with a hammer and and knows it's perfect yeah that's awesome by the sound so, so it is a more of a like a you know contacts and, and just being able to reach it, out yeah, resources yeah. yeah it's contacts and and it's also i mean it's building a palate like the same way with with wine and and tasting as many things as you can and and having uh having a way to talk about it and yeah being passionate it's a passion yeah. i mean i can tell you're passionate about it and that's what's cool uh you know you're gonna continue to be successful with it because yeah, you have you to love to do it you, you have to it. be kind of nerdy about it and, yeah. and research it and um, learn how to how to talk to people who aren't that way about it because you're I mean you're an ambassador for for cheese you're an ambassador for wine mm-hmm. so um, 
it's it, I mean selling it is is educating people about it we're not just trying to sell someone one piece of cheese we're I mean we're teaching them like how how you can make a meal of it how it's easier than turning on an oven just to throw out a cheese plate and charcuterie plate yeah 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 it was you cool can just when grab I... a grab a jar of jam and and make something like crazy of it. when I uh I first came back and did a tasting with you a few years ago. I mean, it wasn't only, oh my gosh, this guy's got knowledge and I can tell he's passionate about it, but it was public speaking. There was a comfortability with with yourself and with the crowd and knowing that, you know, people are going to have questions. And, you know, that's part of it too. You know, that's a big part of it is you got to get out there and, and sort of, uh, you know, preach it and tell people, you know, this is why it's great and this is why willing to pay a few extra bucks for it because it's yeah. sort of the finer things in life you yeah. know? and it's like cheese when cheese is good just like wine it's like it's human achievement yeah you know you go like this is why we live life yeah. you know this is you know when you taste wine from a certain area or wine down a certain way or great beers great food is obviously in there you're like what's the point of being a human yeah <laughs> if you can't like appreciate you know, life is, uh, I, I think that's a, a really cool thing that keeps happening every time I come back to the U.S. is you see more and more people into, you know, not, I don't want to say expensive because that's not really what it is. It's like, okay, finer things and maybe it's worth the effort to just have more knowledge about it because it might only be like a dollar or two more or yeah. worth, or maybe you got to travel a little bit farther to get it instead of going to just the big supermarket, you go to the guy who's got the, the goods down the road and he's been there for so many years and uh, I just don't see any other way to be you know once you kind of start going down that path it's tough to turn back and just get like you know it's uh it, it, it's crazy stuff. what we what we spend our money on and, and I think the United States is is the worst at this but we we really spend as a, a country the least amount of our money on food percentage wise and i mean there there are cultures that spend close to 90 percent of their their money on food yeah well that's it can be two ways though too mm -hmm. i mean one is you know i'd say in europe uh where the you know you can, the food's actually cheap yeah and there's great food mm -hmm. and that you know new zealand is almost the opposite is there isn't this developed fine food there you know it's happening there's certain yeah. pockets of it and there's some great fresh food and great fresh ingredients yeah. but the the sort of culture and art of making great cheeses wine is certainly there and has come there in the last 20 years mm -hmm. uh, beers are starting to happen and things like that but just regular basic food is really expensive in new zealand because it has to compete with the export markets yeah and so uh their their percentage of money spent on food is probably skewed because that's you know there's no reason why a New Zealander should have to pay what they pay for a gallon of milk, considering the percentage that they make to the amount of people that live there. But, yeah. but you know, they sell so much of their milk to China and so much of their lamb to the U.S. and things like that. So they that, can't eat. They can't afford quinoa in, in uh, Peru. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's because you know I mean? they, they gotta export it. We so. need our quinoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, the free trade agreement with China for New Zealand is. You know, certainly brought plenty of money into the country, but it's also like. Well, I don't think it's good to be at the extreme on either end. Like, but that's for regular food too. Yeah, I know. You know. I don't. I don't want to spend like. I mean the. 
we don't, we don't know the costs that are associated with with getting a, a hamburger for ninety nine cents. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's that's that it's not right that it's it's like that. I don't want to eat that. Like, no, no. Uh, I have an idea of where that came from and how that. Well, it, it, this actually just made me think of something else because one of the cool things uh, that you know, like. So I, when I went to school, I had buddies who made cheese. They were wine, studying wine. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, obviously I made wine on my own, sort of. But you're allowed to in this in New Zealand to make uh, uh, booze on your own. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You're allowed to to make moonshine, whatever you want, as long as it's for. Person. Personal consumption. Yeah, I'll do my air quotes with that. But um, it made me think: What would you, if you, if somebody asked, if somebody wanted to make cheese on their own, uh, you know, we'll start in, in here. But you know, say in the city. Yeah. What would be the easiest way for somebody to do it? If they just wanted to make, what would be the best cheese to try to pick and and try uh, to do? Mozzarella is probably. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, and, and you can you can start from milk if you want to, but that it's kind of silly to start from milk because you're the the quality of milk that we get in in the city and and what we can buy a gallon of. And, I mean, there's very there are a few places where you can get like organic raw milk that's local and because it can't be homogenized, right? If you do, yeah. Well, no, it can, it can. Dude, to make uh, to make mozzarella, you can you okay. can do it. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's not a uh, You'd want to start with curds. Like we we make our mozzarella from from curds from Wisconsin from really high quality milk and the curds are great and that's how we do it. And really, uh, I mean the hand stretching. It's an easy process. You're pretty much just heating up the uh, heating up the milk and or the the curds and and stretching them until they're 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 just right. Um, you don't want to really make cheese in the city. Like, I, I, I don't suggest that anyone do that. Okay. Like, okay. Let's so, start in the suburbs then. Yeah, you know? so, so if you say you do have access to a dairy farm or something like that. Yeah. And, if you, I mean, you have a basement where you can. Yeah. You're looking. I, I mean, you want to get really high quality milk and, and experiment. I mean, most of the, the great American cheesemakers, the artisan cheesemakers were. Uh, women from from the '70s who bought goats so their kids could drink goat's milk and had way too much milk and started fiddling around with cheese to find out what happened. And uh, I mean that that kind of works as a model in in the United States. That's pretty pretty close to organic beginning of a, sure. of a cheese business. I don't think you get more organic. So they're buy your own goat. Yeah, yeah, they're two two really big ones. Uh, Mary Keen. Uh, out in California, makes hum- Humboldt Fog. Um, she's retired in Hawaii now, I think. With of course, yeah, she sold her her business to Swiss dairy uh, people. Humboldt and, County is that where? Yeah, 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 yeah. Humboldt Fog, really famous. The first uh, first cheese to be uh, sold in France, exported to France, wow. America. Uh, so that's one, and then there's one in uh, Indiana too, Capriole. Um, but yeah, that, I mean that's the model. That's why you would why you would make cheese. You have, you have a, you'd have to have a passion to kind of create your own thing. And I, I don't think you'd want to start buying milk from someone else, but I guess you could. Yeah. You just start with curds yeah. or do it or that's, get a goat. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's the other thing that, uh, so much of it, I don't, I don't think, I don't think people should be looking to create cheese because they want to just make cheese. Like they, 
it, it's a lifestyle that that you have to live. Like you can't take a day off. You you have to milk them every yeah, every yeah. day. It's, you can't just buy a gun yeah, and leave it in the you, backyard. You want to live a certain way. You want to produce your own your own food. You want to you want to live on a farm. You want to get up early and. I'd say more than more than wanting to produce a product, and that it's wanting to live that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good because we just got some chickens. I think that's a start. Yeah, you know, we got some eggs. Eggs are eggs are important, man. Fresh eggs, cheap. You know, free actually now. Eggs in my life, which is great. We got to feed the chickens, man. Yeah, we have like a kind of a. It looks like a corn mix, you know. Obviously, being in Hawks Bay, like yeah. you just go to the local farm store and you buy a big bag. It was like twenty bucks for a bag the size of me, you know, that we uh, are feeding them. But one turned out to be a rooster. Uh oh. So he's going. He's either yeah. getting cooked or he's going back to our buddy who we got him from. Got me van, man. That's what I said. I, you know, I said I'll do it. You know, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll do it. But he's. Uh, I don't know if he's a little young anyway to cook because he's, um, I don't know how much meat's on his bones, but he's turned, like, in the two weeks that I left, before start, I left Start her, feeding him beer, man. <laughs> well, in the two weeks before I left, he started learning uh, how to crow and cockadoodle, and I'm like, I can't do this. I don't need to be. There's already one, like, two farms over from where I live, and I'm just like, uh You can hear it, too? How, like, how far I can't hear it on farms. my side of the house. I'm just okay. a pretty light sleeper. Um, but, yeah, I can hear him, uh, our rooster now. And, 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 like, you heard him learn over the last couple weeks. Like, he was, like, oh, really it's kinda, trying. It's kind of nice. It's a, it's a nice process, but it's going to end with either Coco Vin or... <laughs> Going back to his I, owner. I think that's a great way to end it. Yeah, Coco Van would be a good way. Gotta teach the rest of them a lesson, too. Yeah, but I feel like we need to Make get an a, example. another chicken because three eggs a day is a pretty good number. You know, that's how we figured it out right away. We're like, we're only getting two eggs a day. Something's not right. <laughs> and we had three chicks, so. Um, you gotta get, uh, gotta get the lights going. Oh, to, to heat them up and keep yeah. them going and producing more? Yeah. We're good with that amount, you know. Right. I, don't, I don't eat. I wouldn't say I eat, eat, eat eggs every day, but you know, when you turn around and you got a dozen there, and you realize it, you're like, that's pretty good. You can do some baking. You can do a lot of different stuff. But having a goat and or a cow or something like that's a whole different yeah. uh, ball game. That's a lot of, like you said, that's a lifestyle and something that uh, yeah. I, I know some farmers and you can't take a vacation. No, from that. no, you uh, somebody's got to be watching them all mm-hmm. the time. So. Um, not quite there yet. I'll be fine with living on a vineyard. The vines, you know, you got to keep an eye on them, but you can leave at certain times of year. They don't need to every day. No. Um, well, cool, man. I think that's pretty good. We got a. It's it's a little after one o'clock. We're gonna watch the Eagles game. Yeah, man. I don't get to watch a live Eagles game very often, so Eagles Dallas, and uh, that's the one. To, that's the one to make. Oh, I do want to say uh, we're drinking some. I give a shout out to the Gerard peeps. We're drinking a Russian River. Chardonnay from Gerard, where I worked last year in California, and it's tasting really good. 2010, going well with the two cheeses that we have today, which were uh, Zachary Cloutier from uh, Quebec and uh, Manchego. From Look Spain. at us plugging away. Yeah, we better get some some free stuff for all this stuff. And uh, yeah, send any questions to my email address, which is wineisfood at gmail.com. 
And definitely if you're in South Philadelphia or Philly, uh, go check out the Bruno Brothers in the Italian market. Any of the locations are cool, but the Italian market ones. The kind 930 of the, South 9th Street. There you go. It's kind of the, uh, the real deal down there. And uh, cheers. Thanks cheers. for doing this, buddy. Good to see you. Shin Don. Shin Shin.